Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 91 of the podcast. It's the 27th of September, 2017, as I record this intro. And it's Q&A time. <laughs> Anne Oman and Anna Brown join me again to answer your questions. This month, we dive into the bigger picture of buying toys, negotiating boundaries, highly sensitive children and therapy, and feeling stuck around food and health concerns. As a personal update, things have just been kind of humming along this week. I've definitely been enjoying working on my projects. This week, I recorded the interviews for next month's podcast episodes, and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with you. I've been chatting with the boys as we run into each other, texting with Lissy to share random bits, and hanging out with Rocco. The flow of life is feeling quite nice right now. And I want to say thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. You guys inspire me. And I love that you're helping me share unschooling information with anyone who wants to explore ways to live this wonderful lifestyle with their family. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week, I want to share a quote from the episode, something Anna said. My priority is the connection because I've seen when our connections are secure that we have a much easier time navigating what comes our way. Now, I have discovered this as well. It's something we learn over time when we're paying attention and trying things out. I talk a couple of times in this episode about the feedback loop of life, kind of what I call it. It's all about observing people and situations, making choices and trying something, seeing what happens, validating the outcome and having open conversations about it, tweaking things and trying again. Over time, what bubbles up, I think, is the essence of human nature. We bristle under control and are more apt to work together when we feel connected. At any age. <laughs> I know it's true for me. And now, on to your questions. Welcome to another Q&A episode. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and I'm happy to be joined again by Ann Oman and Anna Brown. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. And this time I'm going to get started. Our first question is from Monica and she's from Calgary, Canada. Eh? <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> um, Monica writes, uh, I'm very new to unschooling. I believe in the principles of unschooling, but putting it into practice is a challenge. I have put aside my bias against screens recently and have let my two girls, five and eight, watch what they like, when they like, for as long as they like. On a normal day, they have screen time as soon as they get up. Then we usually have an activity that takes us away from the house in the late morning for a couple of hours. They are pretty amenable to that. 
to going to going out for which I am grateful. Then when we get home, they have screen time for an hour or two before dinner. We often have a family watch after dinner or they will watch something themselves. The problem I'm struggling with is that they sometimes watch YouTube shows of people unwrapping toys or playing with various toys. I do not have a problem with the content of the shows, but they have now made the connection that these toys can be purchased. We are not rich, but could afford it. But I don't want to purchase every toy they ask for, mainly because I am against amassing huge amounts of plastic stuff. And I see toys that they have asked for played with a few times the first day and then forgotten. It seems such a waste. I usually say that we can't afford it, but at the same time, I don't want to give them a poverty mindset, deny themselves things or experiences when they are grown up, even when they can afford it, but feel that they can't, like me. What are your views on the topic? Hi, Monica. I know um, that your question is about saying children, uh, uh, is about children asking for toys, but I did just want to mention the use of the phrase screen time. Um, just because having screen time, per se, you know, when you talk about they have in the morning and the afternoon, it says little about what they're actually doing. It's so much more than that. It's not just the screen. So, I mean, I know that's what you're seeing, but don't stop there. Ask yourself, what are they playing? What are they watching? What do they like about it? And then that can help you start to see ways that you can engage with them around the things that they find inter interesting. Excuse me. And that said, uh, I love the that you're asking this question because because even in your question, you're talking about how it makes you feel uncomfortable to be often saying no to them. And I think that might be because you're realizing that it's not really about saying yes or no to the toy. It's about saying yes or no to the child, to their excitement and their joy. And that feels off to you. Um, it feels like maybe you're dampening their enthusiasm. And as you said, you're starting to see that play out as a poverty mindset, one of denial. And I understand uh, when you're talking about that it seems like a waste to you. But I, I think what can help is to shift that and realize that that's your judgment. And, and that's about the toy, the thing. And yet the toy isn't for you. It's for them. It's something that they're interested in. And I'm thinking it might be helpful to look for ways to take yourself out of that equation altogether, out of that judgment piece. So I was thinking about you might be able to try changing up the framework so that you can say wholeheartedly yes to your child's enthusiasm and excitement and join them in their joy and their imaginings about this toy and how they might play with it which may or may not actually play out as a yes to the purchase. That doesn't need to be the only uh, thing that you guys talk about, the only piece of conversation. Another way to change things up, uh, you could give them an allowance so that the purchase power is out of your hands and into theirs. They don't always have to come and ask for a yes, no, yes, no. You're getting yourself out of that um, judgment place. So that way, They'll be learning about themselves when they consider whether or not to spend money on a toy that they see. They won't be learning about how you feel about the toy. They'll now have to think about and decide for themselves how they might feel about it. So you're no longer the gatekeeper. Now you're someone that they can bounce their thoughts off of as they think it through. They'll have that conversation with you. 
And sure, there will be times when they buy something and they're disappointed with it. As you say, they play with it for, you know, maybe even just a few times on the first day or just a few days and then forget about it. But they'll learn great things through that experience as well. And there'll be times when something's more expensive and they can hatch plans for saving up for it. And sometimes they'll follow through on that bigger purchase and sometimes they'll change their mind halfway. And all of that is great learning. I have a blog post playing with money that you can check out um, that goes a little more in depth into these ideas. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. And I also uh, remembered from Q&A episode number 21, question number four, that might have some ideas in there that you might find uh, helpful along the way as well. Anna? Right. So Pam said pretty much this exactly, but I'm going to say it again, (laughs) only because we get this kind of question a lot too. And so this is the wording piece, because I think the wording is so helpful to look at and screen time is such a limiting term and it's really just boom, starting from a place of judgment, Um, being more specific with the language, what they're watching YouTube or the Explorer, whatever they're specifically doing, you know, that can help you connect and you know, with how they're spending the time instead of just dismissing it as, quote, screen time. And I think trying to understand and enjoy that with them is the next step. Um, As for the toys specifically, I found my girls often just wanted to talk about them and then they would move on. For example, we would see a toy and they would express interest and I would say, gosh, that really does look cool. You know, what, what do you like most about it? What fun things could we do with it? You know, and we would just talk about it and we'd have this great, you know, engaging conversation. And 90% of the time, that was all they wanted. They wanted me to see it and see what they loved about it and to talk about it with them. And way more often than not, it was me who was saying, well, how about we get it? And <laughs> that sounds yeah. fun. And they would be going, we don't need that. <laughs> what? I like it. And so it just always made me laugh because this is a common struggle people would say. And for us, it happened more in stores because the internet wasn't as big and YouTube, I don't even know, was around when my kids were little. So it was more like we'd be walking in a store. But over and over again, that's what happened. They just wanted me to engage with them and talk about it and share what they loved about it. Um, but the other thing from your question that that stuck out to me was your desire to not have a lot of toys. And we talked about this a bit, actually, I think, on our last Q&A. Um, that's your feeling about it, but they might feel very differently. Um, toys were a big part of our environment and the sacred work that my children did when they were young. And so much was learned and explored through finding cool toys together, me finding them or them or a combination. Um, When they were done, some things were given away to be loved by someone else. Some things were consigned and we made money to buy new things and some things we stored because we weren't ready to get rid of them. We actually moved last year from their childhood home and they were at the time just turning 17 and 19. And it was at that point that they were ready to part with things that they had wanted to keep through the years. And we still kept some of the special pieces and we delighted in going through all of it and remembering all of the fun times we had with those books and toys and items. I think tapping into that joy could really shift things for you instead of bringing the heaviness of expectations 
And I would also be concerned about the passing along the scarcity mentality that you talked about. I mean, we really dealt in abundance and even alongside having conversations about finances and priorities and Pam gave some great tips about all the different ways that that can look. So those were the pieces that I wanted to get out. Anne? Hello. Hi, Monica. I am so glad you wrote to us and welcome to unschooling. I love that you told us that you're new to unschooling. And it's so cool um, early in your unschooling journey that you're recognizing that you're having a challenge putting the principles of unschooling into practice. Uh, It is difficult, I know, to examine long-held beliefs that um, were handed to us by society. And not only that, even radical beliefs that we have come to ourselves. In fact, it's probably those, the latter, that are the most difficult for us to look at and examine, or at least for us to realize that we do need to examine them. Um, But it's still absolutely necessary, especially if they don't allow our children the freedom to follow the flow of their own hearts and their own lives. Um, And all of this examining that you're doing here now is really great and Um, It's so cool because it's just one small portion of your days and years ahead where it will become a pretty regular thing uh, (laughs) to hear something come out of your mouth or see something that's in your head and have to stop and say, wait a minute, do I really believe that? You know, is this belief serving me well? Is this belief serving my family well? And I'm more addressing, you know, not even the toy situation, which is uh, a belief that you have, but also the fact that you... We, you know, we're disappointed that they stumbled upon these YouTube videos to begin with. Um, that's something that that's a preconceived judgment and definition that you had in your head. So if we can stop and see that some things that we're holding on to do not serve our children nor us well, that's really, really wonderful. Because the energy you want to be in on your unschooling journey is one where you're open to truly seeing and hearing and honoring your children and all that they are and all that they love to do. Because that's exactly the truth. Our children are what they love. And so with everything they're drawn to, um, the not even just the toys, the YouTube videos, it's important to honor that and then go into it yourself and see the reasons why they love it. See it through their eyes because there really is so much learning and enjoyment and world expansion happening with absolutely everything they're drawn to. And yeah, that includes YouTube videos of people unwrapping toys. I mean, you guys, is that a thing? Really? They're unwrapping- it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wrapped up or is it unboxing? I mean, is it like... I kind wrapped, of imagine like, them both the same, but... Well, well, like one unwrapping We're to me have to go like, what? <laughs> like a surprise. No, I've got it. I've got to find this out because, man, I, I got excited thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind any of that. How exciting to a child. How exciting to an adult to watch an unboxing or an unwrapping with whatever yeah. of something that I'm interested in, something that I'm drawn to. So I, I just, I love, I'm fascinated by your perspective because you being new to unschooling, new to questioning these beliefs that you might not recognize that you're holding on to yet. And that is unschooling right there. It's not so much the principles of unschooling that are hard to put into practice uh, with children learning from life because that just happens. The learning happens in the glorious living. It's within us, the parents, where the work needs to be done so that we can first get out of their way and then join them on their fabulous unschooling journey. 
And if we're clinging onto things that we believe to be true and telling our children that they're wrong to be interested in something, um, you know, because we think it's wasteful or whatever, as, as you are feeling, that's none of that is unschooling at all. We unschool to expand our children's worlds, not to shelter them. And we question what we believe so that we can happily follow the children to wherever they're leading us with their questions, their answers, their curiosities, and mostly their joy, their joy and watching these YouTube videos. Even if it's something we think we don't like or previously thought was bad or wrong, if our wise children are interested in it and are drawn to it and want more of it, man, then there's something there that has really great value to them. Something that is speaking to their very beingness. And they are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. This is their unschooling job, actually, naturally gravitating toward those things that they find interesting. And that is where all of the learning is in unschooling. And they can only get to where they need to be when we get out of their way with our rules and judgments and edicts, which I know you're loosening up on. And last night I was watching um, HGTV. This is just a little story of kind of the bigger picture of uh, our unschooling lives and examining um, what we may be holding on to. Um, HGTV, my latest obsession, which <laughs> I watch so incredibly often that sometimes I have it on without the sound just because I feel inspired and comforted and excited by all the projects they're doing on that channel. I have it on right now for my bulldog out in the living room so that he's quiet during the podcast <laughs> recording. <laughs> he's going to come up to me with all these ideas. Anyway, uh, on the show I was watching, the main character, the woman, was laying in this bed, and she was saying how she could see straight down a hallway from that bed, and she said that was so great for parents who were waiting for their teens to come home, and the teens are trying to sneak in the house past curfew without getting caught. Oh, my God. It's, <laughs> it struck me, as it often does, how incredibly foreign that entire mainstream view of teens or even children in general is to all of the radical unschoolers I know. And what an amazing, wonderful life we have where we are good friends with our children. We have mutually respectful relationships where we have conversations about things instead of the parent dictating the rules and the child trying to not get caught breaking them. Mm. Uh, I remember talking to some people once uh, a long time ago, maybe it was when my kids were teenagers, and they could not believe that my children were never once punished for anything in all of their lives. Now, that is a foreign and very sad concept to me, thinking that an adult feels they have the right to inflict a punishment on another human being just because that human being is a child of theirs. So, no, not only have my children have never been punished for anything, we have lived entirely in the opposite direction of what comes as a result of a parent punishing a child. Every move I make with my children... I have examined because I want to make sure that it brings us closer together instead of pushing us apart. And it's these kind of things that we step away from, um, even and especially if it's something we have decided for ourselves to believe before we came on this parenting journey. We question every belief or thought that we find ourselves clinging on to that has the possibility of pushing our children away from us. Seriously, I, I believe our children are here asking us to clean our slates and let them show us how amazing the world and life and love and family can be. And my goodness, what a gift they are bringing to us with that. That's exactly what I did from the first time my firstborn, first time he cried. 
I knew he was here to show me the way to live and everything I had known before his presence here. I, it's, I think it left me <laughs> and I was there for him to see what he sees, to learn what he knows, to have him show me what he needed in life. And that's how it's been ever since. He turns 27 years old next week and we are good, good friends. So if this is where you'd like to be, you are doing such a good job asking these questions. Just make sure you're able to back up a bit into your questions and dig deeper to see what it really is you're holding on to, what it is you're really asking of your child, and then find a way to either release it or discuss it in a way that will bring you closer together. And you can do that by making sure you see everything from your child's amazing perspective. Okay, so I just have to say, in case there's any inquiring minds out there, too, same here. Never, ever, <laughs> ever punishment. <laughs> there was never any. I, it's such a bizarre concept. It I think is. back, like, now I don't even think about it. But I remember along the way, people, oh, that'll never last. Oh, that's not going to work. Right. Well, now, oh, of course, they're oh, well, about to turn. Was- yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's every step of the way that they're like, oh, yeah. wait till they wait till they yeah. start walking. Oh, wait till they're the terrible twos. Oh, wait yeah. till they go to school. Oh, wait till they're teens, you know, and it never came because of examining and walking toward the connection and the relationship with the with the children. Yes. So just had to say that in case anybody else was wondering. Um, but I will go ahead to question two, Pam, unless you need to say anything. No, no, that's fine. You okay. guys covered it beautifully. Okay, um, so question two is from Heather in Washington State. Um, we are an unschooling family with four kids ages six, four, two, and six months. I would say we are 100% unschoolers in terms of academics, and we're still working on all the lifestyle elements. My question is about how you or your families have handled kids' freedom to leave the house or yard by themselves. We have a fenced backyard where the kids can always play. The front yard is unfenced and faces a usually calm street. Generally, we let the four and six-year-old play in the front, ride their bikes around the block, cross the street to play at a school playground by themselves. One good reason to have a school there, haha, as long as they let us know where they are going. The two-year-old doesn't remember not to run into the street, so she needs an adult to accompany her for all of those things. Even with these, I think, fairly generous boundaries compared to other families in the U.S., the older kids, especially the six-year-old, are often trying to, quote, escape, slipping out the door whenever we open it and running off to neighbor's yard, sometimes leaving without telling us, and the two-year-old follows. My six-year-old complains that he doesn't have enough freedom to go, quote, wherever he wants without a grown-up. Unquote. It's very frustrating because we feel like we're giving them as much freedom as we conceivably can where we live. We're not afraid of kidnapping or anything, but there are some busy streets around the edge of our neighborhood. So I do worry about cars. And I notice that his complaints come, excuse me, I notice that his complaints come more often when we've been home for several days in a row. I try to get everyone out as much as I can, but for kids, sometimes I need sometime at home days for my own well-being do you have any ideas about how to negotiate this thanks well hello um it sounds like your parameters about striking off in their own are super reasonable um but i think you've really hit the nail on the head with noticing the issue springs up when you've been in the house for a while 
Um, as a mom, I totally get the reality you're facing with four kids. Well, I can imagine that piece having only just had two. Mm-hmm. But to the kids, they don't understand that piece. And it wasn't a choice that they made. So I would think of creative ways for the six-year-old to get out on those days. It may be a mother's helper or a teenager to help him have some adventures on the days you need to stay close to home. Or swap time with friends or neighbors and maybe you take the littles and they strike out with the bigs or vice versa. I look at behaviors as expressions of needs, and when it seems like we're at an impasse, so he wants to go out alone, you aren't comfortable with that, then we can sometimes get stuck there. But if we start peeling back the layers and see that he's needing some extra attention on those days or activities or big muscle movements, then it becomes something that can be solved. You know, maybe there's some creative things to set up in the backyard space to bring out for special fun or that add a new layer of play or physical activities like clue hunts, obstacle courses, etc. Things that make that space inviting and fun. It just sounds like maybe it's time for some creative problem solving and discussion with the family. And something that also occurred to me in reading this is he is the oldest of your four. So I'd be aware of my language. Is he being expected to do things because he's the oldest or is he being told he's a big boy now so you can do X, Y, or Z? If so, he might be trying to make sense of what he's hearing and reconcile it with what he sees as something big kids do. So I don't know if that's at play here, but I wanted to throw it out there and it may be something to watch for because he is so little. While he may seem huge and gigantic next to your two-year-old, he is still a little guy who needs a lot of time and a lot of attention. Take it from the person with the 19 and 17-year-old that six is so tiny when you see them. So anyway, I will pass it on to Anne. (laughs) Hi, Heather. Um, Because I am a holder of the lantern and a digger of the deeper, (laughs) I'm going to go back into your question and just draw attention to something in your words, in your mindset that could be shifted, that could open up possibilities for you. Especially because you say you're still working on all the lifestyle elements of unschooling. So I want to offer you as many tidbits as possible in um, your language and energy and um, way of thinking and living. So um, you said you believe you are giving your children generous boundaries. And to me, right there's the entire concept um, doesn't have to be a part of your life and your vocabulary at all, because we know what happens when we um, make sure kids know that the parents are giving them boundaries, uh, no matter how generous or whatever. And you even wrote the older kids, especially the six-year-old are often trying to escape, (laughs) slipping out the door whenever we open it and running off to the neighbor's yard, sometimes leaving without telling us and the two-year-old follows. So I feel like that's what happens when we have the parent-child echelon where the parents make the rules and the boundaries and the kids are expected to obey and follow. And you know, that echelon does does not and never has existed in my family. And what did exist and what does exist is conversations, understanding, empathy, and validation. And mostly a deep trust that when there's a need or desire, there's a way to fulfill that need or desire that will make everybody happy. And all of that stems come from seeing the circumstances from your child's eyes. 
So, uh, yeah, again, if there are boundaries and rules, uh, whether it's limited TV time, computer time, no sugar in the house, the child's going to run for the door, find a way to break the rules, want more TV computer time and sneak a bag of brown sugar outside. <laughs> and the thing is, it's that's not because it's something that's inside of them. That's kind of what they're doing because there are rules that are forbidding and limiting those things. So when you look at it through the eyes of your children, it just needs to be validated, you know, with your son. And in addition to all that Anna was saying about him being six and needing attention stuff, but the validation, I so understand. Oh, I know, I can feel how frustrating this is to you. I so get that. And then with validation, you have an energy of trust that you can work it all out so everyone is happy. And then you don't have to state boundaries or rules. You're having conversations and it's kind of an awareness in a respectful energy. And so, um, you know, after validating, you could say, let's let's keep talking about this and see what we can come up with, ways we can make this feel better for all of us. So the thing is to open communication with, um, you know, the older ones and not close it off and um, to see it from your child's eyes and not have the parent-child echelon. That's really, really important. Um, you want to give them the freedom and trust to come up with solutions to their desires and your concerns. And uh, from that place of trust, then everybody's open to hearing everyone's ideas. You know, as long as the kids are part of it and they know that their ideas hold equal weight and value in the conversation. Um, so that's, you know, that's the eyes, too, uh, that you can see it through. And that's just what I wanted to focus on because Anna, Anna offered a lot of other good ideas. And Pam will, too. Pam. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to um, chat a little bit about a few things that came to mind as I read your question, Heather. Um, and a little twist on what Anne said, going back to um, you mentioning the fairly generous boundaries compared to other families in the U.S. And I've had those thoughts many times over the years, but I've learned that that's of little value to us. Living and learning together as a family is not about comparing ourselves to anyone whether it's conventional families or other unschooling families. It's about seeing our children's needs and desires and figuring out our own real needs and desires and exploring ways to move forward from there. Those are the things that are um, valid in our lives, not what anybody else thinks about it. Um, seeing and validating his expressed desire to go places without a grown-up isn't the same as giving him permission. I think that's one of the things that trips us up a lot when we're um, thinking about uh, validating something um, that at first we're fearful about, that as soon as we express empathy or understanding, that that's going to be interpreted as permission for them to, well, you said I could run out the door, you know. It's not. Um, the other piece was when he talks about he wants to go where wherever he wants without a grown-up. One shift that always really helped me is to realize, see, that is his six-year-old solution to something that's bothering him. 
as Anna talked about, you can dig deeper to find the need that lies at the root of that proposed solution. And I suspect you'll be able to find all sorts of other ways that you can meet that need. And you mentioned one already. You you notice one of the clues that, that it bubbles up more often when he's been home for several days in a row. So yeah, the creative problem solving that Anna was talking about, brainstorming um, things just around that whole um, need that you think might be under there. So maybe he's wanting engagement and activity and you're needing at home time. You can start there and there's so many places you can go um, and had great ideas about making the backyard uh, more engaging more interesting so that that would be a really fun place to go. Um, maybe he wants that engagement to be out and about, um, or maybe he's happy having other kids over. So you're trying to figure out ways that might work for you that will meet his need for more engagement. Maybe you can invite other families with young kids over, or um, she talked about a mother's helper, like an older kid who might come over and play with him for a while or arranging outings with other families or grandparents. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, grandparents or somebody can take him out for a nice trip while you're home with the younger ones. Or are there places where you're more comfortable visiting where you can feel relaxed so it doesn't feel like as much um, pressure or stress on you being out? Now, none of the things that we've suggested may work in your circumstances. That's fine. But what we're trying to do is just help get the brainstorming juices going, thinking out of that box a little bit. What about if your um, spouse intentionally takes your six-year-old out every night just to fill his cup for a while, go to the park, go for a walk around the block, go kick the soccer ball around for a bit, whatever, um, and just see. Try that out for a couple of weeks and see how it goes. It may help you get closer to discovering what that underlying need is um, that he's feeling the need to to run out and escape. Um it's all about validating, observing, trying something, seeing what happens, having those all open conversations about it, tweaking it, trying again. It's like it's that feedback loop of life is kind of how it seems to me. You know, that's what we're living instead of boundaries. That's that's instead of no matter how generous we think our boundaries are, mm -hmm. as Anne talked about, they're still boundaries. Exactly. They're they're still. Yeah, they're still an edge of conflict rather Think of it as a feedback loop, trying things that you think might help, but in conversation with them, seeing what happens, talking about what happens, you know, it's it's really beautiful. And I'm getting goosebumps now just because that is where we get to know each other so much better. And that is where we come up and they come up with so many awesome ideas, no matter their age, you know, and it's like, oh. I'm going to try and figure out a way that we can try and make that happen for them and let's see how it goes. You know what I mean? So that they truly, truly feel that you're you're a team together, that you are not trying to stop them from doing something, but trying to help them do something with with your uh, needs and concerns. Also being part of the conversation. Yep. Oh, 
<laughs> well, it's in that space, as as Pam's saying, where uh, you get to know each other. Not only that, they you uh, with getting to know each other, they are feeling seen and heard in the validation, and then they develop trust for you and your ideas. Where when you come out right away and said, "Here's boundaries," you know the echelon that I keep talking about, the hierarchy. Um, uh, that has to go away, and you, their voice has to be as as uh, as valuable and have as much input and weight as yours does. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, question number three is from Chelsea in Orlando, Florida. She writes, "Hi, thank you so much for this podcast. Listening every week is essential to helping me stay centered in this unschooling journey. You're very welcome, Chelsea. I really enjoy it." Um, I have a question about therapy and if slash when it's appropriate to seek it for a child. I have a little boy who's six and from the very beginning he has made his presence felt. He has a strong personality and amazing imagination and he knows who he is and what he wants. He will not bend either if he doesn't want to do something or if he wants to do something and is being prevented. He can be violent when he doesn't get his way. The last six years have been extremely eye-opening, and I have challenged a lot of assumptions, especially since beginning to unschool nine months ago. We have always leaned more toward natural and attachment parenting, and our inclination is to resist most medical interventions unless truly necessary. Earlier this summer, the kids and I spent three weeks visiting family in Pennsylvania. When we were with my family, we spent a majority of our time with their cousins, ages nine and two. My son is an introvert. He usually prefers to stay home and play video games. When he is around other children, besides his sister, their relationship ebbs and flows, but can tend to be violent at times. He is usually okay for a while and then seeks to be on his own or wants to leave. I knew this going into our trip and fully intended to escape with him upstairs to watch movies away from the other kids when he needed to, and we did, often. But there were still plenty of times when his interactions with his cousins sparked conflict. The two older kids were not always kind to him. Other children always become very bossy around him, I guess because he doesn't tend to, quote, follow the rules. But when conflict arises, he is extremely impulsive, and his first impulse is almost always to hurt the other person. He'll hit, scratch, and bite. He seems to snap into a sort of Hulk mode, and it can often take a lot of effort to help him snap back out of it. Before the trip, he told me that his heart wants to do good things, but his brain wants to do bad things, and it's hard to listen to his heart. I'm not really sure how to help him with this besides keeping him from other kids entirely or only under close supervision. It prevents him and the rest of the family from being able to participate in things where he would be in a typical childcare situation, such as church. My mother very adamantly suggested that he should be in some kind of therapy or counseling because to her, his behavior is extremely abnormal. I find his behavior inconvenient and frustrating, but not completely out of the realm of normal for a six-year-old strong-willed boy, but I could be wrong. I really hesitate to take him anywhere because I have a suspicion that they will be quick to try to diagnose and possibly medicate, and I really don't want to go down that route. I also don't really want him to be expected to do multiple different kinds of therapies several times a week. He's not broken. I'm not trying to fix him. But I do want to help him and consequently the rest of the family as well as, the, as, well as other children he'll come in contact with. Since we've been home from the trip, he's done pretty well. He doesn't lash out quite as often. We babysat a four-year-old for a few hours and my son did okay until he just wanted his space back and he didn't want to share. 
Once we calmed him down and let him do his own thing, he was okay, even though he mostly ignored the other boy. Is this something I can expect him to grow out of? How do I help him? Would some kind of therapy really be best for him? How do I know without opening the door to a bunch of other interventions? Hi, Chelsea. I just wanted to say that I love the bits that you shared about your son, that he knows who he is and what he wants. He has an amazing imagination and how he already talks about his motivations and impulses from his heart and his head. And yes, here again, he's only six. Yes, he has a big personality, but this is who he is. So I'm, I'm really happy for him that you guys have chosen unschooling, that this is going to help him so much in exploring and learning how he meshes with the world. And as you say, he's not broken. He doesn't need fixing. But in your quest to try to help him and to understand him better, um, maybe reading books like we've suggested before, The Highly Sensitive Child and The Explosive Child, um, I think you can find, you'll find some solid ideas there for helping him through his days and the challenges that he encounters. So I'll put links to those in the show notes and the caveat that Anne has has shared before with the books, you know, um, read them from our perspective. Don't worry about the uh, school suggestions, etc. But you're reading it from your child's perspective because they can help you see things through their eyes that um, you don't you don't realize yet. So I think that can be really helpful that way. The other thing I wanted to point out was not hanging out with other kids or always being right there with him may well be good plans for now. Like you, you never once in there mentioned that he was asking to hang out with other kids. These were situations where he's been, he's been put in with other kids. So if he's not interested in it, that's okay. And if he needs you right by his side to help him and the other kids for now, that's okay too. This is his unique path and story. What you want to do is help him shine as the amazing kid that you know he is right now. Anna? Yeah, so I hello, Chelsea. Um, I also just loved your description of him, and I could just picture him, and I just loved that that image. Um, and I love your connection to him and how you're noticing triggers and becoming aware yourself of what works for him. Um, it sounds like you are talking to him, but I just wanted to be make, to make sure, you know, with my oldest, we talked very early on about her need for what we just call space. Um, when I could see her becoming overwhelmed, I would help her find space. And it sounds like you're doing the same. We also talked about what was happening in her body before she became overwhelmed. Signs that she could learn so that she could remove herself before she got to a place of being upset. And those were tools that she was able to develop and use throughout her childhood and really even still uses them today. Um, she knows if she's going to be out in a loud environment for a while that she will need quiet time when she gets home, for example. Um, it was never presented as a problem, just something to know about herself. And I feel like we all have those things. So it was just part of our conversations that we would talk about um, what works for us in different situations. And and Pam mentioned that the explosive child book came to mind, you know, again, not an unschooling book, but I think there might be some helpful tools in there um, as you're figuring out what's going on. And interestingly, and this is kind of an aside that will just come from me because of my background of things, but um, when you described that his heart was wanting to do something, but he was not able to, that 
is so common in kids that are reacting to artificial dyes and to dairy. So I'm going to throw it out there just as something to observe. Um, it's interesting because those exact words of I know I want to do this differently but not being able to is is a big deal and so I've seen kids that when they are not eating artificial dyes suddenly don't have any of those impulse issues because it really was coming from that not saying that's the case here but certainly something to look into um and i think just continuing to connect with him help him stay centered in his body learning to listen to his body you know those are all just helpful tools and maybe all that he needs at this point um and i just wanted to validate and hear you that i think therapy can be a slippery slope in our society because the first inclination does seem to be to control or mold the child to the environment versus understanding the child and helping them find tools. And I think that that's um, really what Pam was saying too, so beautiful about you coming to unschooling because it allows you that space and that time to really find the tools and really to not label or try to change your son. Um, and so I feel like you're on the right track with all of that and just trusting and honoring who he is is really a beautiful gift. And so I think that's really lovely. So thank you for sharing that with us. Anne? Yes, uh, Chelsea, unschooling, uh, probably no less than save your mm-hmm. children's, your child's life because uh, his responses and who he is, who he is, um, needs to be celebrated. And the unschooling life, as you know, as we've said, does not require any child to fit into any typical box. And so he will be free to be who he is. Um, and I, I feel your pain and your desire to work through this. And I'd like to recommend, if you haven't already, to read my essay, I Am What I Am, on my website, shinewithunschooling.com. And, yeah, there are so many things you can do to help him. And uh, it's, first of all, is what I always say is to accept and celebrate him for being exactly who he is. And in that energy, you will be able to be his partner and not just help him through these difficult challenges in life, but honestly redesign your life so that he simply shines. Um, Because you can't respond as if he's a sensory typical child. Uh, With my Jacob, we let who he is guide our lives. And we created our lives um, so that he he would have a space where he felt safe and free to shine and felt celebrated for being who he is. And uh, with Jacob, it was that um, I kind of feel it with your son too. He's owning a lot of weight in the world. And that's why I, I kind of feel like, so there's already so much going on in him with these intense emotions. And, um, I always tried to help Jacob remove that weight from his shoulders. And I remember the first time when I, I, I forget what Jacob said. Uh, I know it was in response to something somebody else had said to him, but I thought I, I saw how he was owning the weight of the world. And I immediately thought, wow, if he is owning this much weight, then I need to do all I can to make sure his life is free from any more weight because he already has so much going on inside his head already. And I, most of all, I need to make sure that I am not the one who is handing him any more weight. And it's in that way that we created a life and a world where our focus was on allowing 
Jacob's very sensitive being to shine. I surrounded him with people who only saw him shine. We followed him and what made him comfortable and at peace. When his heart was at peace, that was the direction we walked in. Um, when we had group gatherings, it was actually really rarely because my kids preferred to get together with friends in a one-on-one setting. But when those times when we were with friends, I was there with Jacob, with all of them, being one of the friends. <laughs> and I was never the leave the kids alone and talk with the other parents kind of person. I wanted to be with the kids anyway. So there I was with the kids, you know, on the floor playing games, talking about what they love, inviting them into kind of a safe and honored space where all of them could shine together. And there, as one of them in that energy, I was able to help Jacob navigate um, situations and circumstances and relationships. I've always said that I've been his interpreter and his translator. I would help the other kids understand what Jacob meant, and I would help Jacob understand what the other kids mean when they say or do something. And as I said, my energy would be right in alignment, right with the flow of all the kids' energy, so it was always natural and right, and it kind of ensured that things would go more smoothly for everybody by being there as um, helping Jacob through all of this. And most importantly, I'd make sure I was in tune with Jacob's energy. If I felt, if I could see he was getting overwhelmed, we would talk about what to do next. Um, I would keep him grounded and centered because it's when he gets near the edge and goes over that edge, as you know, that it's hard to get back, come back from going over the edge. So my goal is always to keep him centered. And I do that by touching him, um, touching my cheek to his is very powerful, rubbing his back a little, offering uh, some water. That brings him back from all of the confusing swirliness that's going on in his head and in his heart, being a you know, highly sensitive child with sensory issues. Now, the other book um, is uh, The Out-of-Sync Child. That uh, might be a good recommendation also. Um, and when you talk about other children become bossy around him, Oh, my goodness, this was one reason why we just did not go to many gatherings and leave the kids alone, because we had too many early on incidents where, um, you know, kind of a school kid energy would pick up on Jacob's vulnerability and gullibility. Is that a word? (laughs) (laughs) And um, would really just they would just really start. picking on him and abusing him and uh, it was just awful. So that's why I, we made sure to prevent that from happening. And I've um, talked many times before in the podcast about briefing and debriefing. And um, I don't want to get into it now because I'm actually going to put together some thoughts on that and have that on my website. So if you want to give that a read, that would be great. So, no, I don't believe your child needs to see anyone, does definitely not need a diagnosis. He just needs to be seen and honored and celebrated for being who he is and have a respectful partner helping him navigate that very large and sensitive and passionate being that he is. And um, I've noticed with a lot of parents with um, uh, highly emotional and um explosive children that they're afraid of these big emotions 
and uh, and that kind of gives the kids the feel the child the feeling that then that these emotions are wrong that who they are is wrong and you know he may be picking up on the energy already and I, I know you don't want him to feel that he's wrong as you said he is not broken so just um, watch yourself with being afraid of his energy and um, just. Do your best, as I said, to keep him centered and not near the edge and um, help him to, you know, navigate that as his partner. And also, if you hold on to all the ways that, you know, he shines, you know, that's what um, go through all the things that make him light up. And uh, his conversations are so beautiful with you. You know, that's so incredibly shining. Um and you hold on to that with your interactions with him. And as I said, help him say, stay centered and grounded. That'll help him to see that he is a gloriously perfect human being, being exactly who he is. And then he'll be open to your gentle guidance as he walks forward in life and just loving who he is, able to, able to celebrate himself. And that right there is really where all children should be. So thank you so much for writing and sharing all that. Okay. Um, so I will go ahead and read question four, which is anonymous. Okay. And I am feeling stuck. I've done a lot of thinking about things and I realize it's not food fear or a need to control. Maybe at one point it was, but now it's not. I would love to let my kids eat a range of different things and learn for themselves what works for them and what doesn't. This works great for things that give an immediate reaction like a sore tummy, rash, or headaches. But I don't know if we can learn what makes us feel awful if the effects are not instant and also worse with the cumulative effect. Also, if we don't have the testing to understand why a body is reacting to certain things. I'm grateful for all the testing available and the doctors who understand mental health illness as a physical illness rather than just being an emotional problem. My concern is my eight-year-old son's health and health and happiness. According to his doctors, psychologists, and test results, it would be potentially damaging to his short and long-term mental and physical health to let him control his food choices. I won't go into every medical detail as it's complicated and involves several factors. The point is, it's not about food or control of trusting him making good choices. It's about nourishing and nurturing him so that he can be his happiest and healthiest self today and in the future. I wish so much that we could just allow complete freedom to experiment and let him learn on his own what works for him and what doesn't. The problem is that it's not all that easy. He needs a continued restricted diet, supplements, and testing. It's not easy for him, I know. Food at our unschooling table would not be restricted at all if it weren't a good reason for it to be. He knows he feels terrible, but he's tired of the diets and the testing and the supplements. I get it and empathize with him. But he doesn't understand the potential implications of not doing so. And I believe it would be negligent and irresponsible of me to allow him complete freedom of choice when I understand the medical implications. So where to from here? I love asking the question, why not yes, and can generally gladly accommodate all other needs and requests made by my kids. But when it comes to food, I can find many reasons to say no. I know that unschoolers recommend that you set your child up for success, but also allowing them freedom to learn on their own. I don't know how that works for us and feel like I can't have both. I read your book too and look forward to reading it many times as we continue our journey. 
please understand that this is not the same as it would be if my kids had no health concerns. My daughter has no health concerns in the last few months since relaxing all food rules to see what would happen. She's been fine and making varied and balanced choices. My son is an absolute mess, exhausted, depressed, highly anxious, aggressive, pale, dark, under his eyes and not sleeping. This is not his personality. He's very different kid otherwise. Of course, I love him at all times and support him through his miserable times, but it breaks my heart to see him suffering and makes our time together much less enjoyable. Do I let him make choices and feel flat and miserable and hope that maybe he will choose for himself to care about his health before he does any permanent damage? Or do I step in and take full control? And is there an in-between? In the past, I felt like we had a good balance. I always cooked foods that he liked. And if we were there were yucky supplements to take, I'd always hide them in something yummy or syringe them into him like a little bird. We found ways to make things easier by playing games and making his favorite treats to take to parties. Now that he's getting older, he's pushing away from this more. And I worry will hurt our relationship and he will start sneaking food or refusing to take supplements. I guess the question is, are there time when it is appropriate and kind for a parent to say no and give the child as many options and choices within the boundaries as possible? I know this isn't unschooling, but I'm not sure what our other option is. It is it kind to tell an eight-year-old that their behavior and attitude make them really difficult to be around and you much prefer their company when they're positive and happy? I'm not talking about happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. My kids know I'm very big on all feelings being okay. I love them when they're feeling sad, angry, frustrated, etc. But this goes way beyond that and it's stressful for the rest of the family to be around him when he's so miserable and negative. I also have my daughter to consider as she adores her big brother. She loves playing with him and is generally very patient and playful. When affected by poor food choices, lack of supplements, however, he's very aggressive and nasty to her. And she gets confused as to why he's so different and becomes very fearful around him. So what I want is the best for my son and our relationship. My kids are my priority and I spent all day happily doing things with them and for them. My son is a gorgeous kid who is kind, empathetic, thoughtful, and creative. He is amazing, and I want to see him enjoying life without fatigue and anxiety. This is the only thing that's causing me stress, and I don't know what to do. Joan often tells me at night when he's at his most open and chatty mood of the day that I shouldn't listen to daytime Joan as he doesn't know what he wants. For example, last night he was telling me that he wants to be able to run fast like Sonic and that every day I need to make sure he does his running practice and eats the right foods for his energy needs. But then daytime comes and I try to help him achieve what he's asked for and he knocks me back. He's also told me in the past that I shouldn't let him eat the foods that harm him, but then if they are available to him, he wants to eat them, and I don't know if he wants me to say yes or no. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't force him to run or stop him from putting food in his mouth if he wanted to. It's like he's asking me to set limits for him, but then in the moment doesn't want me to. This is very confusing for me. He will often tell me at night that I just need to be more firm and not give him options. What kid says that? But that doesn't feel right to me. Isn't the point to let him make his own decisions in the moment so he can learn things for himself? Or am I letting him down by not setting limits that he's previously asked me to? I have similar confusing thoughts around his attitude to things at times. One example would be his birthday this year. He helped me plan it. All he wanted was to spend the day at the water park and his best friends and have for a sleepover. And that's what he got. He was really excited about it and seemed to have a great time and was very happy. But when we got home, he complained that it wasn't very fun and that he wouldn't like to go there again. This is common for him. We often spend hours together doing whatever he wants to do and he appears happy, but then later he'll tell me that was the worst day ever or that he's very unhappy, that he's never happy. 
I sometimes just don't know how to respond when he says stuff like that. I feel like I bend over backwards trying to make him happy and I love doing it and I'm not resentful, but I do wonder if no matter what I do, he's going to say that he's always unhappy anyway. So, okay. (laughs) Pause just a moment. Um, So there's a lot there. And, you know, first I just wanted to say that I did feel your love for him and I appreciate that. And I appreciate all that you're sharing. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about the food stuff, I guess, because we have had health and food issues at our house and did find that it was best for them to make the decisions on their own, even when that meant going through difficult times. We would talk about how we're feeling and patterns that we noticed, but they needed to come to it on their own. I felt that I had to prioritize the relationship. I'm wondering about your situation. It seems a bit different and I'm not sure, but why are the foods that are harming him in the house is maybe one question, you know, not knowing the specifics, it's hard to make a suggestion. Um, But we have one out of the four of us who needs to be gluten-free and our meals are gluten-free when we're out. Some of the rest of us, we choose to eat gluten, but it isn't a big part of our home. And there's so many tasty options. No one's ever feeling like they miss out at all. And and if they were, then of course we talk about that and find solutions that feel good. Um, My youngest had her gluten problems from birth and quite possibly a celiac, but she had to get there on her own. And she decided around 13 to stop eating gluten. And so now it's been about four or five years. We talked about it plenty before that, but me forcing her to give it up, even though it was causing health problems, was not something I was comfortable with. I shared my best information and I trusted in her. I think sharing the impact you feel when someone eats a food they react to is reasonable. And you can share experiences when you have something to eat or drink and how that affects you. Open discussions about how our body feels and reacts to things have been a part of our family. They are not a part of all unschooling families, but it has worked for us. And I feel like both my girls have an understanding of what works for them and what doesn't. And that's come from inside of them, not from me. I have shared my journey with food, too, and modeled making adjustments, but again, I just have to trust in their journey. People pick up really quickly if someone has an agenda. So if you start the conversation and share your experiences with an agenda, nothing is going to change. It will just create distance and not connection. I know that I don't know what's best for another and that I can't avoid or plan for every eventuality. So I focus on right now and today and maintaining my connection. Then together we can navigate whatever comes our way. And when I say trusting, it doesn't mean trusting that things will work out like I want them to work out. It's trusting that everything is unfolding how it needs to, even if I don't like the feel in the moment or I don't understand it. It's the opposite of control. It's letting go. And that is something that I have to practice pretty much every day (laughs) because we can try to control all outcomes, but it never works. And so it often creates distance in our relationships. And my priority is the connection because I've seen when our connections are secure that we have a much easier time navigating what comes our way. 
And I just wanted to say a tiny bit about the last bit of your question, which was how he can be unhappy about things and, and you feel like you're creating and doing the things that he wants to do and that he still is unhappy. And and I have a child who also, who's now an adult, but that can be that person that kind of sees the dark side of things and can be well, like, I didn't like this about it and didn't. And it was surprising to me at times because I look at the world in a very different way, but it's been such a beautiful journey, like connecting with her and honoring where she is and what she, how she needs to express things, but also being true to to who I am and the joy that I like to find and the gratitude in each moment. So I'm saying I empathize with that, but I think it really can be navigated where you're both honored where you are. So I'm going to hand this over to Pam. Thank you, Anna. And that was really beautiful stuff. And I'm trying to look ahead in my notes. I'll just, that last piece that you were talking about too, I, for me, one of the things that helps there is, is to um, not feel like, like once I've uh, done something that my child was interested, you know, in Mm -hmm. doing like, so in this, this example, his birthday, right. And what he wanted to do for his birthday. So, you know, uh, we made these plans, we were excited about these plans and we did it. And then I need to cut my expectations off of how, uh, of how things flow after, you know, yes. <laughs> it, it, yes, not feel judged about how he sees it after, because that's about him. That's how mm-hmm. he's learning, how he's processing things. Yeah. I mean, I've had many situations, you know, where my kids have had a different experience than I have from something and, and to make that shift and say, it's interesting to know this more, this piece about them, this way that they're seeing it. That's really fascinating and interesting and, and understanding it from their perspective, but separating it from mine. Right. So to not feel like, um, I'm being judged and it was a waste of my time and energy in the first place to do this thing, just because even though they seem to under, uh, enjoy it in the moment, maybe something um, didn't work as well for them later when they're talking about it. But what they can do once they have that kind of process with you and ex- um, have that conversation with you, then next time you guys make plans, maybe something that you've learned from that can be adapted into the plans moving forward. Oh, remember last time you said you didn't like this piece or whatever. But yeah, to not take that on as judgment of ourselves, but we're doing the best in each moment. I think that's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, the one thing I wanted to uh, bring out, and Anna mentioned this, and it's beautiful. And for me, in situations like this, in challenges like this, I always go back to the relationship as my touchstone. Because for me to support my kids as they work through these challenges, I need to have a solid and trusting relationship with them. As Anna said, that is when things go um, more easily, or at least the conversations are open and and information gets on the table, needs and and feelings and everything get laid out or else they get protected because that trust isn't there. Trust comes when you drop that agenda that Anna was talking about. Because uh, if you don't, they're not going to be sharing things. They won't be coming to chat with me about things. If they make a connection between, you know, something they ate and something they're feeling if they don't truly trust us to, if they think we'll say, oh, 
see, I told you, remember, yeah. I told you that might happen. If that's the attitude you're going to bring, they're not going to want to share it. That That's too judgmental. Um, you want it to be um, a place where they can safely share all information uh, without feeling like they're going to be judged by it because they want to get it out there just so they can think about it and process it. So that's why Deeply understanding how unschooling works and why trusting relationships are so important is key on our journey. Deschooling is key. And as for taking the time to understand ourselves as well, um, to separate ourselves from our children, like I was talking about, so that we can focus on what they want for themselves, not what we want for them. Um, when I was reading through the question uh it sparked in me, I have a blog post, uh, Unschooling with Strong Beliefs, that I'll link to in the show notes that I think would be very helpful for you to read as well. Read it with this situation in mind. I use a different example, but, you know, throughout this, this is your belief that the, you know, that you need to be saving him from some sort of long term thing. And I think Anna addressed that really well. If he is a different kid, depending on what he eats, he will discover this himself. And he will deeply know and understand it in a way that he never will if it's just you telling him over and over and trying to convince him and trying to, you know, control things for his own good. As soon as the phrase for their own good comes out, that's a great clue for us that we need to dig a little bit deeper. Um, so with the back and forth on limiting things that you mentioned, um, you know, about him saying, you need to limit me and then the next day not wanting it, that sounds so human. Mm -hmm. I've known many adults, myself included, who we, you know, we go to bed at night thinking, okay, tomorrow I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat right, or tomorrow I'm going to do this or that. And then we have trouble following, following through the next day. You know, it's the whole new year's resolution thing, right? We all have this perfect image in, in our head. And then, you know, we need to figure out the the reality of it. And also, I mean, what you're learning there is that really a perfect vision that I that I truly want to put the effort into following, et cetera. So I think that's one huge piece is to realize that's so human, that's so normal. And you ask what kid says that in relationship to him asking to set lim you to set limits on himself. And I just want to say, you know, my kids have said things like that. And I've heard other unschooling kids say stuff like that. It's because they trust their parents to help them navigate whatever challenge it is they're working through. But the key question for you is, is he asking for that help because he wants to do it or because he knows that's what you want him to do? So that's just something to ponder. And I also wanted to mention, because you mentioned feeling uncomfortable about that, when my kids have asked for help and I'm uncomfortable giving that kind of help, we talk about that too. So in situations like that, I've been willing to kind of to try out this, quote, policing mode for a bit so that they can see how it feels because it's what they've been asking for to experience. But it's not a viable long-term solution. Like we said, it's just a pit stop along the way, Right that feedback loop. Let's try this and see what happens. Let's see how that feels. Another thing worth considering is like, um, as I mentioned in question one, try take yourself out of the equation. Don't be that person standing between him and food. Help him explore ways for him and food to interact directly because that's where the real learning is. So maybe try having lots of the food that he can eat with abandon available so that he can easily grab it whenever he wants. You can make it 
appealing and fun and pretty and see what happens there. And if there's stuff he wants to try limiting, Anna mentioned, instead of having it in the kitchen and you having to play bad cop over it, try not having it in the house at all. That way it's not even an immediate temptation. And then you guys can see what happens with that. Again, feedback loop, right? It's about working with him towards his goals and trying out a hundred different possibilities, even more, and having lots of open and non-judgmental conversations along the way to help him process what he's discovering, both about his food motivations and about how he feels physically and emotionally after he eats that wide range of things. You know, I one of my sons has diabetes and that's a food related thing too. And, you know, you talk about supplements. There were times when he wasn't particularly interested. He didn't want to have to take his blood sugar yet another time, et cetera, or give himself another needle when he was younger. And I would just do all that I could for him to help him because, you know, this I, I could say it's a boundary. It's something that has to be done. But you know what? Never once did we have that conversation because that, that was just kind of a given. You know what I mean? So we just worked and figured things out. It was, again, that whole feedback thing. What are you feeling? What are you wanting? If you have this, you know, there's this in, insulin implication, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it never became like a point of contention. I never put myself in that bad cop spot, I think is probably an easier way to, to envision it, to realize that, you know, you're helping them figure their way through the situation as, as it is and helping them explore all sorts of possibilities. Okay. That was probably long enough. (laughs) Hi, I'm here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have so many notes swirling in my head and scribbled on my paper that I am going to try and make sense of it all. But yes, to what Pam just said, trying to remember what Pam just said. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When it is a conversation, and again, when his voice has as much weight and value as yours, that's that's fine-tuning of life. And not, again, the parental hierarchy with the parent giving an edict. And, oh, goodness, I just feel like this whole thing is so much weight on him. And I want him to be free from that weight. And even when his behavior is what you are seeing as inappropriate and automatically saying because you ate these foods oh my goodness that's I feel like that's so much weight on him and uh, I feel like it's clouding it's clouding um, so many things and I'm wondering if he's feeling like he's not being seen for who he is no matter what no matter what he eats whether you know when he's eating the right foods if he's getting um, parental approval, then maybe that's why he's saying, I need you to limit me because I, you know, I like this when you're happy with me and my choices and everything. And when he's not eating the right foods and he does something that maybe isn't the best behavior, um, thing and it, it does it automatically get blamed on the food. And you know what I mean? It's, it's clouding everything. And I think the issue as they've been saying is to remove yourself from that and then that cloud will 
um, go away. I think his weight will be more evenly distributed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm an energy feeling person, so that's why I'm <laughs> speaking in these terms. Um, and he can know who he is. I'm, I'm wanting him to know who he is no matter what. And um, as they're saying, without you with uh, telling him who he is and who he becomes with food issues, then he has a chance to know himself better. And I'm going to mention a book we've mentioned many times. Um, it used to be called Preventing Childhood um, Eating Problems. Now it's called Kids, Carrots, and Candy, A Practical Positive Approach to Raising Children Free of Food and Weight Problems. And I'm not sure. The whole message um, isn't exactly what you're looking for, but I think you will pick up some really good tidbits in it. And again, read it through an unschooler's eyes um, and what is appropriate for your situation and everything. But just to, uh, the book removes the weight of the whole food issue, maybe not for the reasons, and maybe it does cover, um, you know, necessary diets for medical reasons or whatever but um yeah that's uh, uh he I, I want him to be seen and celebrated for who he is and not have any food issues on that at all because who he is what does he love uh you know when does he light up that's that's where he needs to be seen and not have um a cloud hanging over him all the time of um, judging his behavior based on his food decision. So I hope I said all the swirliness um, as good as I could, as well as I could, because I talk real good sometimes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so that's it. Yay. And that was the last question for this month. Thank you so much to both of you for answering questions with me. And just a reminder for everybody, there are links in the show notes for all the blog posts and books that we mentioned <laughs> this episode. So you can go do your homework. And as always, if you would like to submit a question for the Q&A show, just go to livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast and click on the link. And add your questions soon because we'll be recording next month's Q&A early because I am going on vacation pretty Yay. soon. <laughs> so have a great day, everybody. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, Really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners, and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.